Good evening. Welcome to Gremlin Time. We've got a pretty scary story on tap for you tonight, so I hope you've got the lights out. This was written by Robert E. Howard from the mid-1930s, and this is our 3D radio players. So let's listen now to Pigeons from Hell. Griswell awoke suddenly, every nerve tingling with a premonition of imminent peril. Who's there? He stared about wildly. How did I? Unable, at first, to remember where he was or what he was doing there. What is this place? Moonlight filtered in through the dusty windows, and the great empty room with its lofty ceiling and gaping black fireplace was spectral and unfamiliar. This place. Then, as he emerged from the clinging cobwebs of his recent sleep, he remembered where he was and how he came to be there. That old plantation. John wanted it. He twisted his head and stared at his companion. John, are you awake? Sleeping on the floor near him. John Brainer was but a vaguely bulking shape in the darkness that the moon scarcely grayed. What was it? Griswell tried to remember oh, what yes. had awakened him. Was it a dream? There was no sound in the house. It must have been. No sound outside, except the mournful hoot of an owl far away in the piney woods. Oh, yes. Now he had captured the elusive memory. That face? It was a dream. That horrible room. A nightmare so filled with dim terror that it had frightened him awake. It all seemed so real. Recollection flooded back, vividly etching the abominable vision. Was it a dream? Certainly it must have been. But it had blended so curiously with recent actual events that it seemed difficult to know where reality left off and fantasy began. But it was so real. Dreaming, he had seemed to relive his past few waking hours in accurate detail. The dream had begun abruptly as he and John Brainer came inside of the house where they now lay. I don't think we'll come to another town till after dark. Oh, great. Another night sleeping in this heat. Oh, it's not so bad. They had come rattling and bouncing over the stumpy, uneven old road that led through the Pinelands, he and John Brainer, wandering far afield from their New England home in search of vacation pleasure. Well, could this road get any worse? I haven't seen Hill all day. Hey, look over there. They had sighted the old house with its balustraded galleries. Yes. Rising amidst a wilderness of weeds and bushes. It's falling apart. Just as the sun was setting behind it. Well, yeah, but that makes it so perfect. No, no. We have to stay. It dominated their fancy, rearing black and stark and gaunt against the low, lurid rampart of sunset, barred by the black pines. Come on, wait till we tell old HP and the gang back in Arkham. They were tired, sick of bumping and pounding all day over woodland roads. Well, it might be fun. The old deserted house stimulated their imagination with its suggestion of antebellum splendor and ultimate decay. I think there's a place along here somewhere. Go over there. They left the automobile beside the ruddy road, and as they went up the winding walk of the crumbling bricks, pigeons rose from the balustrades in a fluttering, feathery crowd that swept away with a low thunder of beating wings. No one's lived here for a long, long time. Safe? No, no. Oh, let's go in. There's, there's probably nobody there. 
the oaken door sagged on broken hinges. Dust lay thick on the floor of the wide, dim hallway on the broad steps of the stairs that mounted up from the hall. They turned into a door opposite the landing and entered a large room. Empty. Dusty. With cobwebs shining thickly in the corners. I bid you welcome. Oh, stop it. This place is spooky enough. Dust lay thick over the ashes in the great fireplace. We can bed down over in here. Look how empty. They discussed gathering wood and building a fire. Look at that fireplace. Fire's a good idea. No wood. <laughs> this place must be big clean. I'll go out and get some here. No, no, no. But decided against it. As the sun sank, darkness came quickly. The thick, black, absolute darkness of the pine lands. They knew that rattlesnakes and copperheads haunted southern forests. And they did not care to go groping for firewood in the dark. They ate frugally from tins. There's still some bread. Is there anything to drink? I never drink wine. Oh, then rolled in their blankets, fully clad before the empty fireplace, and went instantly to sleep. This, in part, was what Griswell had dreamed. He saw again the gaunt house looming stark against the crimson sunset, saw the flight of the pigeons as he and Brainer came up the shattered walk. He saw the dim room in which they presently lay, and he saw the two forms that were himself and his companion, laying wrapped in their blankets on the dusty floor. Then, from that point, his dream altered, subtly, passed out of the realm of commonplace, and became tinged with fear. Where am I? He looked into a vaguely shadowy chamber. This place. Lit by the gray light of the moon that streamed in from some obscure source. For there was no window in that room. But in the gray light, he saw three silent shapes that hung suspended in a row. What? And their stillness and their outlines awoke chill horror in his soul. There was no sound, no word. But he sensed a presence of fear and lunacy crouching in a corner. Where am I? Abruptly, he was back in the dusty, high-ceilinged room before the great fireplace. Oh, yes. He was lying on his blankets, staring tensely through the dim door and across the shadowy hall to where a beam of moonlight fell across the balustraded stair some seven steps up from the landing. And there was something on the stair. A bent, misshapen, shadowy thing that never moved fully into the beam of light. But a dim, yellow blur that might have been a face was turned toward him, as if something crouched on the stair, regarding him and his companion. Fright crept chilly through his veins. What? And it was then that he awoke. Where am I? If indeed he had been asleep. This place... He blinked his eyes. Oh, yes. The beam of moonlight fell across the stair just as he had dreamed it did. But no figure lurked there. Yet his flesh still crawled from the fear the dream or vision had roused in him. His legs felt as if they'd been plunged in ice water. He made an involuntary movement to awaken his companion. When a sudden sound paralyzed him. It was the sound of whistling on the floor above. Did you hear that? 
eerie and sweet. It rose, not carrying any tune, but piping shrill and melodious. Such a sound in a supposedly deserted house was alarming enough. But it was more than the fear of a physical invader that held Griswell frozen. He could not himself have defined the horror that gripped him. But Branner's blankets rustled, and Griswell saw that he was sitting upright. This figure bulked dimly in the soft darkness, and the head turned toward the stair as if the man were listening intently. More sweetly and more subtly evil rose that weird whistling. He meant to shout, to tell Bradder that there was somebody upstairs, somebody that could mean them no good, that they must leave the house at once. But his voice died, dryly in his throat. Bradder had risen, his boots clumping on the floor as he moved towards the door. He stopped leisurely into the hall and made for the lower landing, emerging with the shadows that clustered black around the stair. Griswell lay, incapable of movement. His mind a whirl of bewilderment. Who was that whistling upstairs? Why was Brainer going up those stairs? Griswell saw him pass the spot where the moonlight rested, saw his head tilted back as though he were looking at something Griswell could not see above and beyond the stair. But his face was like that of a sleepwalker. He moved across the bar of moonlight and vanished from Griswell's view even as the latter tried to shout to him to come back. A ghastly whisper was the only result of his effort. The whistling sank to a lower note, died out. Griswell heard the stairs creaking under Branner's measured tread. Now he had reached the hallway above, for Griswell heard the clump of his feet moving along it. Suddenly the footfalls halted, and the whole night seemed to hold its breath. Then an awful scream split the stillness, and Griswell started up, echoing the cry. The strange paralysis that had held him was broken. He took a step towards the door, then checked himself. The footfalls were resumed. Branagh was coming back. He was not running. John? The tread was even more deliberate and measured than before. John? Now the stairs began to creak again. A groping hand moved along the balustrade came into the bar of moonlight, then another, and a ghastly thrill went through Griswell as he saw that the other hand gripped a hatchet, a hatchet which dripped blackly. Was that Brainer who was coming down that stair? Yes, the figure had moved into the bar of moonlight now, and Griswell recognized it. Then he saw Branner's face. A shriek burst from Griswell's lips. Branner's face was bloodless, corpse-like. Gouts of blood dripped darkly down it. His eyes were glassy and set, and blood oozed from the great gash which cleft the crown of his head. Griswell never remembered exactly how he got out of that accursed house. Afterward, he retained a mad, confused impression of smashing his way through a dusty, cobwebbed window, of stumbling blindly across the weed-choked lawn, gibbering his frantic horror. He saw the black wall of the pines and the moon floating in a blood-red mist which there was neither sanity nor reason. Some shred of sanity returned to him as he saw the automobile beside the road. In the world gone suddenly mad, 
There was an object reflecting prosaic reality. But even as he reached for the door, a dry, chilling roar sounded in his ears, and he recoiled from the swaying, undulating shape that arched up from its scaly coils in the driver's seat and hissed sibilantly at him, darting a forked tongue in the moonlight. With a sob of horror, he turned and fled down the road as a man runs in a nightmare. He ran without purpose or reason. His numbed brain was incapable of conscious thought. He merely obeyed the blind primitive urge to run, 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 until he fell exhausted. The black walls of the pines flowed endlessly past him. So he was seized with the illusion that he was getting nowhere. But presently a sound penetrated the fog of his terror. A steady, inexorable patter of feet behind him. Turning his head, he saw something loping after him. Wolf or dog, he could not tell which, but its eyes glowed like balls of green fire. With a gasp, he increased his speed, reeling around a bend in the road, and heard a horse snort, saw it near its head and the rider curse, saw the gleam of blue steel in the man's lifted hand. He staggered and fell, catching at the rider's stirrup. For God's sakes, help me! The thing! He killed Branagh! He's coming after me! Look! Twin balls of fire gleamed in the fringe of bushes at the turn of the road. The rider swore again, and on the heels of his profanity came the smashing report of his six-shooter. Again and yet again. The fire sparks vanished, and the rider, jerking his stirrup free from Griswell's grasp, spurred his horse at the bend. Griswell staggered up, shaking in every limb. The rider was out of sight, only a moment, and then he came galloping back. It's a rush. Timberwolf, I reckon. Though I never heard one chasing a man before. Do you know what it was? Griswell could only shake his head weakly. The rider, etched in the moonlight, looked down at him, smoking pistol still lifted in his right hand. He was a compactly built man of medium height, and his broad-brimmed planter's hat and his boots marked him as a native of the country, as definitely as Griswell's garb stamped him as a stranger. What's this about, anyway? I don't know. Griswell answered helplessly. My name's Griswell. John Branner. My friend who was traveling with me. We stopped at a deserted house back down the road to spend the night. Something. At the memory, he choked by a rush of horror. My God! He's... I must be mad! Something came and looked over the balustrade of the stair. Something with a yellow face. I thought I dreamed it, but it must have been real. Then somebody began whistling upstairs, and Branna rose and went up to the stairs walking like a man in his sleep. Hypnotized. I heard him scream, or someone screamed. Then he came down the stair again with a bloody hatchet in his hand. And my God, sir, he was dead. His head had been split open. I saw brains and clotted blood oozing down his face, and his face was that of a dead man. But he came down the stairs. As God is, in, is my witness, John Branner was murdered in that dark upper hallway, and then his dead body came stalking down the stairs with a hatchet in its hand to kill me. The rider made no reply. He sat on his horse like a statue outlined against the stars, and Griswell could not read his expression, his face shattered by his hat brim. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. 
I don't know what to think. There was any house but the old Blassenville Manor. Well, well, we'll see. My name's Buckner. I'm sheriff of this county. Took a prisoner over to the county seat in the next county and was riding back late. He swung off his horse and stood beside Griswell, shorter than a lanky New Englander, but much harder knit. There was a natural manner of decision and certainty about him, and it was easy to believe that he would be a dangerous man in any sort of a fight. You afraid to go back to the house? Griswell shuddered, but shook his head, the dogged tenacity of Puritan ancestors asserting itself. The thought of facing that horror again turns me sick. But poor Branner, we must find his body. My God! What will we find if a dead man walks? What? We'll see. As they made the turn, Griswold's blood was ice at the thought of what they might see lumbering up the road with a bloody, grinning death mask. But they saw only the house looming spectrally among the pines down the road. A strong shudder shook Griswell. Evil that house looks against those black pines. It looked sinister from the very first. When we went up the broken walk, I saw those pigeons fly up on the porch. Pigeons? You saw the pigeons? Why, yes. Scores of them on the porch railing. They strode on for a moment in silence before Buckner said abruptly, I've lived in this country all my life. Passed the old blast into the place a thousand times, I reckon. All hours of the day and night. And I never saw a pigeon anywhere around it or anywhere else in these woods. There were scores of them, repeated Griswell, bewildered. I've seen men who swore they'd seen a flock of pigeons perched along the balusters just at sundown. Negroes, all of them except one man, Tramp. He was building a fire in the yard, came into camp there that night. I passed along there about dark. He told me about the pigeons. Came back by there the next morning. Ashes of his fire were there, and his tin cup and skillet where he had fried pork. His blankets looked like they had been slept in. Nobody ever saw him again. That was 12 years ago. The blacks say they can see the pigeons. No black would pass along this road between sundown and sunup. They say the pigeons are the souls of the Blassenbills. Let out of hell at sunset. The Negroes say the red glare in the west is the light from hell. Because then the gates of hell are open, and the Blassenbills fly out. Who are the Blassenbills? Uh, they owned all this land here. French-English family. Came here from the West Indies for the Louisiana Purchase. Civil War ruined them, like it did so many. Some were killed in the war. Most of the others died out. Nobody's lived in the manor since, uh, 1890, when uh, Miss Elizabeth Blassenville, the last of the line, fled from the old house one night like it was a plague spot. Never came back to it. Mr. Otto? They halted beside the car, and Griswell stared morbidly at the grim house. Its dusty panes were empty and blank, but they did not seem blind to him. It seemed to him that ghastly eyes were fixed hungrily on him through those darkened panes. Buckner repeated his question. This your auto? Yes. Be careful. There's a snake on the seat. Oh, there was. Not there now. Grunted Buckner, tying his horse and pulling an electric torch out from the saddlebag. Well, let's have a look. He strode up the broken brick walk as a matter of factly, as if he were paying a social call on friends. Griswell followed close at his heels, his heart pounding suffocatingly. 
A scent of decay and moldering vegetation blew from the faint wind, and Griswell grew faint with nausea that rose from a frantic abhorrence of those black woods. These ancient plantation houses that hid forgotten secrets of slavery and bloody pride, a dark, brooding, fear-haunted side, and the discovery repelled him. The oaken door sagged as it had before. The blackness of the interior was intensified by the beam of Buckner's light playing on the sill. That beam sliced through the darkness of the hallway and roved up the stair, and Griswell held his breath, clenching his fists. But no shape of lunacy leered down at them. Buckner went in, walking light as a cat, torch in one hand, gun in the other. As he swung his light into the room across the stairway, Griswell cried out, and cried out again, almost fainting with the intolerable sickness of what he saw. A trail of blood drops led across the floor, crossing the blankets Branner had occupied, which lay between the door and those in which Griswell had lain. And Griswell's blankets had a terrible occupant. John Branner lay there, face down, his cleft head revealed in merciless clarity in the steady light. His outstretched hand still gripped the haft of the hatchet, and the blade was embedded deep in the blankets and the floor beneath, just where Griswell's head had lain when he slept there. A momentary rush of blackness engulfed Griswell. He was not aware that he had staggered or that Buckner caught him. When he could see and hear again, he was violently sick and hung his head against the mantle, retching miserably. Buckner turned the light full on him, making him blink. Buckner's voice came from behind the blinding radiance, the man himself unseen. Griswell, you told me a yarn that's hard to believe. I saw something chasing you, but it might have been a timber wolf or a mad dog. If you're holding back anything, you better spill it. What you told me won't hold up in any court. You're bound to be accused of killing your partner. I'll have to arrest you. Griswell sank down and hid his face in his hands, his head swimming. Great God, man. I didn't run it, John. Why, we've been friends ever since we were children in school together. I've told you the truth. I don't blame you for not believing me, but God help me, it is the truth. The light swung back to the gory head again, and Griswell closed his eyes. He heard Buckner grunt. Average killer would have told a logical yarn, at least. Hmm. Blood drops leading from the door. The body was dragged. No, it couldn't have been dragged. Floor isn't smeared. You must have carried it here after killing him in some other place. But in that case, why isn't there any blood on your clothes? Of course, you could have changed clothes and washed your hands. The fellow hasn't been dead long. I walked downstairs and across the room. He came to kill me. I knew he was coming to kill me when I saw him lurching down the stair. He struck where I would have been if I hadn't awakened. That window, I burst out at it. You see, it's broken. I see. But if he walked then, why isn't he walking now? I don't know. I'm too sick to think straight. I've been fearing that he'd rise up from the floor where he lies and come at me again. When I heard that wolf running up the road after me, I thought it was John chasing me. John, running through the night with his bloody axe and his bloody head and his death grin. His teeth chattered as he lived that horror over again. Buckner let his light play across the floor. The blood drops lead into the hall. Come on, we'll follow them. Griswell cringed. They lead upstairs. Buckner's eyes were fixed hard on him. 
Are you afraid to come upstairs with me? Griswell's face was gray. Yes. And I don't want to be too hard on you. But you can see how hard it is for me to believe all you've told me. Griswell wearily motioned for him to lead the way, unspeaking. They went into the hall, paused at the landing. A thin stream of crimson drops distinct in the thick dust led up the stairs. Man's tracks in the dust. Go slow. I've got to be sure of what I see, because we're obliterating them as we go up. Hmm. One set going up, one coming down. Same man. Not your tracks. Branner was a bigger man than you are. Blood drops all the way. Blood on the banisters, like a man had laid his bloody hand there. Smear of stuff that looks... brains. Now what... Walked down the stair a dead man, groping with one hand, the other gripping the hatchet that killed him. Or was carried. But if somebody carried him, where are the tracks? They came out into the upper hallway, a vast, empty space of dust and shadows where time-crusted windows repelled the moonlight, and the ring of Buckner's torch seemed inadequate. Griswell trembled like a leaf. Here... In the darkness and horror, John Branner had died. Somebody whistled up here. John came as if he were being called. Buckner's eyes were blazing strangely in the light. Footprints lead down the hall. Same as on the stair. One set going, one coming. Same prints. Judas! Behind him, Griswell stifled a cry, for he had seen what prompted Buckner's exclamation. A few feet from the head of the stairs, Branner's footprints stopped abruptly and then returned, treading almost in the other tracks. And where the trails halted, there was a splash of blood on the dusty floor, and the other tracks met it. Tracks of bare feet, narrow, with splayed toes. They, too, receded in a second line from the spot. Buckner bent over them, swearing. The tracks meet. And where they meet, there's blood and brains on the floor. Branner must have been killed on that spot, the blow from a hatchet. Bare feet coming out of the darkness to meet shod feet. Then both turn away again. Shod feet went downstairs, bare feet went back down the hall. He redirected his light down the hall. The footprints faded into darkness, beyond the reach of the beam. On either hand, the closed doors of chambers were cryptic Portals of mystery. Supposing your crazy tale was true. Buckner muttered half to himself. These aren't your tracks. They look a lot like a woman's. Suppose somebody did whistle. Branner went upstairs to investigate. Suppose somebody met him here in the dark and split his head. Signs and the tracks would have been in that case just as they really are. But if that's so, why isn't Branner lying here where he was killed? Could he have lived long enough to take the hatchet away from whoever killed him and stagger downstairs with it? No, no. Recollection gagged Griswell. I saw him on the stair. He was dead. No man could live a minute after receiving such a wound. I believe it. But it's madness, or else it's too clever. Yet what sane man would think up and work out such an elaborate and utterly insane plan to escape punishment for murder? when a simple plea of self-defense would have been so much more effective. No court would recognize that story. Well, let's follow these other tracks. They lead down the hall. 
Here, what's this? With an icy clutch at his soul, Griswell saw the light was beginning to dim. This battery's new, muttered Buckner, and for the first time, Griswell caught an edge of fear in his voice. Come on, out of here quick! The light had faded into a faint red glow. The darkness seemed straining into them, creeping with black cat feet. Buckner retreated, pushing Griswell, stumbling behind him as he walked backward, pistol cocked and lifted down the dark hallway. In the growing darkness, Griswell heard what sounded like the stealthy opening of a door. And then suddenly, the blackness around them was vibrant with menace. Griswell knew Buckner sensed it as well as he, for the sheriff's hard body was tense and taut as a stalking panther's. But without haste, he worked his way to the stairs and backed down it. Griswell preceded him, and fighting the panic that urged him to scream and burst into mad flight, a ghastly thought brought icy sweat out on his flesh. Suppose the dead man were creeping up the stair behind him in the dark, face frozen in the death grin, blood-caked hatchet lifted to strike. You've been listening to part one of Pigeons from Hell, a short story by Robert E. Howard. You're tuned to Community Radio, KBOO Portland. This is Gremlin Time. I'm Fortunato, and tonight we're presenting what is considered one of the great American horror stories. It was published a couple of years after Howard's death in 1936 in a May issue of Weird Tales magazine in 1938. Let's return now to part two of Pigeons from Hell by Robert E. Howard, The Lurker in the Shadows. A ghastly thought brought icy sweat out on his flesh. Suppose the dead man were creeping up the stair behind him in the dark, face frozen in the death grin, blood-caked hatchet lifted to strike. This possibility so overpowered him that he was scarcely aware when his feet struck the level of the lower hallway, and he was only then aware that the light had grown brighter as they descended, until it now gleamed with its full power. But when Buckner turned it back up the stairway, it failed to illuminate the darkness that hung like a tangible fog at the head of the stair. Damn thing was conjured, nothing else. Couldn't act like that naturally. Turn the light into the room. See, if if John... If John is... He could not put the ghastly thought into words, but Buckner understood. He swung the beam around, and Griswell had never dreamed that the sight of the gory body of a murdered man could bring such relief. He's still there. If he walked after he was killed, he hasn't walked since. But that thing... And again he turned the light up the stair and stood chewing his lip and scowling. Three times half lifted his gun... Griswell read his mind. The sheriff was tempted to plunge back up the stair, take his chance with the unknown, but common sense held him back. I wouldn't have a chance in the dark, and I've got a hunch the light would go out again. But I ain't going up there until daylight. It's not long till dawn. We'll wait for it out there in the gallery. The stars were already paling as they came out on the broad porch. Buckner seated himself on the balustrade facing the door, his pistol dangling in his fingers. Griswell sat down near him and leaned back against the crumbling pillar. He shut his eyes. 
grateful for the faint breeze that seemed to cool his throbbing brain. He experienced a dull sense of unreality. In a gray twilight as sleep came, uninvited to his weary soul. He awoke to a cold white dawn and full memory of the horrors of the night. Mists curled about the stems of the pines, crawling in smoky wisps up the broken walk. Buckner was shaking him. Wake up, it's daylight. Griswell rose, wincing at the stiffness of his limbs. His face was gray and old. I'm ready. Let's go upstairs. I've already been. Didn't want to wake you up. I went as soon as it was light. I found nothing. The tracks of the bare feet. Gone. Gone! Yep, gone. Dust had been disturbed all over the hall from the point where Branner's tracks ended. Swept into corners. No chance of tracking anything there now. Something obliterated those tracks while we sat here, and I didn't hear a sound. I've gone through the whole house. Not a sign of anything. Griswell shuddered at the thought of himself sleeping alone on the porch while Buckner conducted his exploration. What should we do? With those tracks gone, there goes my only chance of proving my story. We'll take Branner's body into the county seat. Say nothing about what's happened here when we get to town. I'll simply tell the district attorney that John Branner was killed by a party, or parties unknown, and that I'm working on the case. I'll do it. Let's go, then. Let me pack the body out to your auto. Griswell's soul revolted at the sight of John Branner's bloodless face in the chill white dawn and the feel of his clammy flesh. The gray fog wrapped wispy tentacles around their feet as they carried their grisly burden across the lawn. Again, the shadows were lengthening over the pinelands, and again, two men came bumping along the old road in a car with a New England license plate. Buckner was driving. Griswell's nerves were too shattered for him to trust himself at the wheel. He looked gaunt and haggard, and his face was still pallid. The strain of the day spent at the county seat was added to the horror that still rode his soul like the shadow of a black-winged vulture. He had not slept, had not tasted what he had eaten. I told you I'd tell you about the Blassenfields. They were proud, folks. Haughty. Pretty damn ruthless when they wanted their way. They didn't treat their slaves as well as the elder planters did. And got their ideas in the West Indies, I reckon. There was a streak of cruelty in them. Especially Miss Celia, last of the family to come to these parts. That was long after the slaves had been freed, but she used to whip her mulatto maid just like she was a slave, the old folks say. Negroes say when a Blassenville died, the devil was always waiting for him out in the Black Pines. Well, after the Civil War, they died off pretty fast. Living in poverty on the plantation, which was allowed to go to ruin, Finally, only uh, four girls were left. Sisters, living in the old house and eking out a bare living, with a few blacks living in the old slave huts and working the fields on the share. They kept to themselves, being proud and ashamed of their poverty. Folks wouldn't see them for months at a time. When they needed supplies, they sent a Negro into town after them. But folks knew about it when Miss Celia came to live with them. 
She came from somewhere in the West Indies, where the whole family originally had its roots. Fine, a handsome woman, they say, in the early 30s. She didn't mix with folks any more than the girls did. She brought a mulatto maid with her. The Blassenville cruelty cropped out in her treatment of this maid. I knew an old man years ago who swore he saw Miss Celia tie this girl up to a tree, stark naked, and whip her with a horse whip. Nobody was surprised when she disappeared. Everybody figured she'd run away, of course. Well, one day in the spring of 1890, Miss Elizabeth, the youngest girl, come into town for the first time in maybe a year. She came after supplies. No, I don't need okra, but I'll take some more black-eyed peas. Said the blacks had all left the place. They've all run off. That's why I'm doing the shopping. Talked a little more, too, a bit wild. Said Miss Celia had gone. She's gone, too. Without leaving any word. Not even a note. Said her sisters thought she'd gone back to the West Indies. That's what they think. But she believed Durant was still in the house. But I think different. He didn't say what she meant. Just got her supplies and pulled out for the manor. You all never mind. I have to get back to the manor now. Month goes past and a black come into town and say that Miss Elizabeth was living at the manor alone. Said her three sisters weren't there anymore. That then left one by one without giving any word or explanation. She didn't know where they'd gone, was afraid to stay there alone, but uh, didn't know where else to go. She'd never known anything but the manor. She didn't have friends or relatives. She was in mortal terror of something. The black said she locked herself in her room at night and kept candles burning all night. Stormy spring night when Miss Elizabeth come tearing into town on the one horse she owned. Somebody help me! Really dead from fright. Help me! Somebody help me! She fell from her horse in the square. She could talk. She said she'd found a secret room in the manor that had been forgotten for a hundred years. She said that there she found her three sisters dead, hanging by their necks from the ceiling. She said something chased her and nearly brained her with an axe as she ran out the front door. Somehow she got to the horse and got away. She was nearly crazy with fear and didn't know what it was that chased her. Said it looked like a woman with a yellow face. About a hundred men ride out there right away. They searched the house from top to bottom. Didn't find any secret room or the remains of the sisters. They did find a hatchet sticking in the door jam downstairs. Some of Miss Elizabeth's hair stuck on it, just as she said. If you wouldn't go back there and show them how to find the secret door... I'll never go back! Almost went crazy when they suggested it. Never! Once she was able to travel, people made up some money and loaned it to her. I could never accept... She was still too proud to accept charity. I'll never go back. She went to California. Never came back. Later, it was uh, learned when she sent back to repay the money that loaned her, she'd married out there. All this time, I never forgot everyone's kindness. And now that our daughter's doing so well in the motion pictures, Mr. Lamley advanced us the money to pay you over. Nobody ever bought the house. Stood there just as she'd left it. As the years passed, folks stole all the furnishings out of it, poor white trash, I reckon. What did the people think about Miss Elizabeth's story? Well, most folks thought she'd gone a little crazy, living in that old house alone. Some people believed that mulatto girl Joan didn't run away after all. They believed she'd hidden in the woods. 
blooded her hatred of the Blastonvilles by murdering Miss Celia and the three girls. They beat up the woods with bloodhounds and never found a trace of her. If there was a secret room in the house, she might have been hiding there. If there was anything to that theory. She couldn't have been hiding there all these years. Anyway, the thing in the house now isn't human. Buckner wrenched the wheel around and turned into a dim trace that left the main road and meandered off through the pines. Where are you going? There's an old Negro who lives off this way a few miles. I want to talk to him. We're up against something that takes more than white man's sense. This old man is nearly a hundred years old. His master educated him when he was a boy. After he was freed, he traveled more extensively than most white men do. They say he's a voodoo man. Griswell shivered at the phrase, staring uneasily at the green forest walls that shut them in. The scent of the pines was mingled with the odors of unfamiliar plants and blossoms, but underlying all was a reek of rot and decay. Again, a sick aberrance of these dark, mysterious woodlands almost overpowered him. Food. I'd forgotten about that. I never could think of black magic in connection with the South. To me, witchcraft was always associated with old crooked streets in waterfront towns, overhung by gabled roofs that were old when they were hanging witches in Salem, dark, musty alleys where black cats and other things might steal at night. Witchcraft always meant the old towns of New England to me, but all this is more terrible than any New England legend. These somber pines, old deserted houses, lost plantations, mysterious black people, old tales of madness and horror. God, what frightful ancient terrors there are on this continent fools call young. Here's old Jacob's hut. Griswell saw a clearing in a small cabin squatting under the shadows of the huge trees. The pines gave way to oaks and cypresses, bearded with gray trailing moss. And behind the cabin lay the edge of a swamp that ran away under the dimness of the trees, choked with rank vegetation. A thin wisp of blue smoke curled up from the stick and mud chimney. He followed Buckner to the tiny stoop where the sheriff pushed open the leather-hinged door and strode in. Griswell blinked in the comparative dimness of the interior. A single small window let in a little daylight. An old negro crouched beside the hearth, watching the pot stew over the open fire. He looked up as they entered, but did not rise. He seemed incredibly old. His face was a mass of wrinkles, and his eyes, dark and vital, were filmed momentarily, at times as if his mind wandered. Buckner motioned Griswold to sit down on a string-bottomed chair, and himself took a rudely made bench under the hearth facing the old man. Jacob, the time's come for you to talk. I know you know the secret of Blassenville Manor. I've never questioned you about it, because it wasn't in my line. But a man was murdered there last night, and this man here may hang for it, unless you tell me what haunts that old house of the Blassenvilles. The old man's eyes gleamed, then grew misty as if clouds of extreme age drifted across his brittle mind. The Blassenvilles. Oh, they were proud people, so proud and cool. What of the manor? Miss Celia, she was the proudest of them all. Proudest and the coolest. Black people hated her. Joan, most of all. Joan had white blood in her. 
She was proud too, sir. What is the secret of Blastonville Manor? Mm -hmm. The film faded from the old man's eyes. They seem perfectly rational now. Life is sweet, sir. Even to an old black man. You mean somebody would kill you if you told me? (laughs) Not somebody. Uh, No no human, sir. No no human being, sir. I sold my soul to the big serpent when he made me make uh, Zuvembe's. Buckner stiffened. I heard that word once before. What does it mean? Zuvembe was once a woman, sir. When the slave coast, they know of them. The drums that whisper by night in the hills of Haiti tell of them. The makers of Zuvembe's are honored of the people of Tombala. It's death to speak of it to a white man. It is one of the sneak gods' forbidden secrets. But Zvembi is a woman. Was a woman. She knew I was a maker of Zvembi's. She came and stood in my hut and asked for, for the awful brew. Brew of ground snake bones and the blood of vampire bats and the dew from a nighthawk's wings and other unnameable elements. She had danced in the black ceremony. She was ripe to become a Zvembi. The black brew was all that was needed. The other was beautiful, but I could not refuse her, sir. What is a Zuvembi? The old man stirred resentfully and muttered drowsily. A Zuvembi is no longer human, sir. It knows neither relatives nor friends. It is one of the the people of the black world. It commands the natural demons, owls, bats, snakes, and werewolves. It can fetch darkness to blot out a little light. It can be slain by lead or, or steel, but unless it is slain, thus it lives forever. And it eats no such food as humans eat. It dwells like a bat in a cave or an old house. Time means not to the Zuvembe. An hour, a day, a year, all is one. It cannot speak human words nor think as a human thinks, but it can hypnotize the living by the sound of its voice. And when it slays a man, it can command his lifeless body till the flesh is cold. As long as the blood flows, the corpse is its slave. Its pleasure lies in the slaughter of human beings. And why should one become a Zuvembi? Hate, sir. Hate and revenge. Was her name Joan... It was as if the name penetrated the fogs of senility that clouded the voodoo man's mind. He shook himself and the film faded from his eyes, leaving them hard and gleaming as wet black marble. Joan? This fire's getting cold. Where's that wood? Uh, I've not heard that name for the span of a generation, sir. I I, I seem to have been been sleeping, gentlemen. I I do not remember. I, I ask your pardon, sir. Old men fall asleep by the fire. Like old dogs. Yes, I would. You think that the mulatto Joan has skulked in the house all these years? You, you heard what old Jacob said. Time means nothing to a Zuvembi. As they made the last turn in the road, Griswell braced himself against the sight of Blassonville Manor, looming black against the red sunset. When it came into view, he bit his lip to keep from shrieking. The suggestion of cryptic horror came back in all its power. Look, he whispered from dry lips as they came to a halt beside the road. 
From the balustrades of the gallery rose a whirling cloud of pigeons that swept away into the sunset, black against the lurid glare. Well, I've seen them at last. Only the dunes see them, perhaps. The oaken doors sagged on broken hinges. Their feet echoed on the broken brick walk. The blind windows reflected the sunset in sheets of flame. As they came into the broad hall, Griswell saw the string of black marks that ran across the floor and into the chamber, marking the path of a dead man. Buckner had brought blankets out of the automobile. He spread them before the fireplace. I'll lie next to the door. You lie where you did last night. Should we light a fire in the grate? Asked Griswell, dreading the thought of the blackness that would cloak the woods when the brief twilight had died. Nope. You got a flashlight, and so do I. We'll lie here in the dark and see what happens. We'll leave the shooting to me, if possible. The sheriff seated himself cross-legged on the blankets and emptied the cylinder of his big blue Colt, inspecting each cartridge with a critical eye before replacing it. What do you make of it? That mulatto made Joan turn Zuvembi to avenge herself on Miss Celia. Probably hated the whole family as much as she did her mistress. She had taken part in voodoo ceremonies on her native island until she was ripe, as old Jacob said. All she needed was the black brute. He supplied that. She killed Miss Celia and the three older girls who would have gotten Elizabeth, but for chance. She's been lurking in this old house all these years, like a snake in a ruin. But she came and peered over the balustrade of the stair at us. But why didn't we find her tracks on the stair? Hell, why try to rationalize something that's outside the bounds of rationality? Let's begin our watch. Don't turn out the light. Oh, of course. Turn it out. We must be in the dark as, as Brenda and I were. But fear like a physical sickness assailed him when the room was plunged in darkness. He lay trembling, and his heart beat so heavily he felt as if he would suffocate. I've heard of zombies. Never known before what a Zuvembi was. Evidently, some drug concocted by the voodoo man to induce madness in women. That don't explain the other things, though. The, the hypnotic powers, uh, the abnormal longevity, the ability to control corpses. No, Zuvembi can't be merely a mad woman. It's a monster, something more and less than a human being. Well, we'll see. His voice ceased. And in the silence, Griswell heard the pounding of his own heart. Then, silence fell again like a black fog. Griswell forced himself to lie still in his blankets. Time seemed at a standstill. He felt as if he were choking. He began to feel as if he would go mad if he did not leap to his feet, screaming and burst frenziedly out of the accursed house. Not even the fear of the gallows could keep him lying there in the darkness any longer. The rhythm of Buckner's breathing was suddenly broken, and Griswell felt as if a bucket of ice water had been poured over him. From somewhere above them rose the sound of a weird, sweet whistling. Griswell's control snapped, plunging his brain into darkness deeper than the physical blackness which engulfed him. There was a period of absolute blankness in which a realization of motion was his first sensation of waking consciousness. 
he was running, madly, stumbling over an incredibly rough road. All was darkness about him, and he ran blindly. Vaguely, he realized he must have bolted from the house, fleeing for perhaps miles before his overwrought brain began to function. He did not care. Dying on the gallows for a murder he never committed did not terrify him half as much as the thought of returning to that house of horror. He was overpowered by the urge to run, 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 as he was running now, blindly, until he reached the end of his endurance. The mist had not yet fully lifted from his brain, but he was aware of a dull wonder that he could not see the stars through the black branches. He wished vaguely that he could see where he was going. He believed he must be climbing a hill, and that was strange, for he knew there were no hills within miles of the manor. Then, above and ahead of him, a dim glow began. He scrambled toward it, over the ledge-like projections that were more and more taking on a disquieting symmetry. Then, he was horror-stricken to realize that a sound was impacting on his ears. A weird, mocking whistle. The sound swept the mists away. Why? Oh, sis, where am I? Awakening and realization came like the stunning stroke of a butcher's maul. He was not fleeing along a road or climbing a hill. He was mounting a stair. He was still in Blassenville Manor, and he was climbing the stair. An inhuman scream burst from his lips. Above it, the mad whistling rose in a ghoulish piping of demonic triumph. He tried to stop, to turn back, even to fling himself over the balustrade. His shrieking rang unbearably in his own ears, but his willpower was shattered to bits. It did not exist. He had no will. He had dropped his flashlight and had forgotten the gun in his pocket. He could not command his own body. His legs, moving stiffly, worked like pieces of a mechanism detached from his brain, obeying an outside will. Clumping, methodically, they carried him shrieking up the stair towards the witch-fire glow shimmering above him. Buckner! Buckner! Help! God's sake! His voice strangled in his throat. He had reached the upper landing. He was tottering down the hallway. The whistling sank and ceased, but its impulsion still drove him on. He could not see from what source the dim glow came. It seemed to emanate from no central focus, but he saw a vague figure shambling toward him. It looked like a woman, but no human woman ever walked with that skulking gait, and no human woman ever had that face of horror, that leering yellow blur of lunacy. He tried to scream at the sight of that face, at the glint of the keen steel and the uplifted claw-like hand, but his tongue was frozen. Then something crashed deafeningly behind him. The shadows were split by a tongue of flame which lit a hideous figure falling backward. Hard on the heels of the report rang an inhuman squawk. In the darkness of followed the flash. Griswell fell to his knees and covered his face with his hands. He did not hear Buckner's voice. The southerner's hand on his shoulder shook him out of his swoon. A light in his eyes blinded him. He blinked, shaded his eyes, looked up into Buckner's face, bending at the rim of the circle of light. The sheriff was pale. Are you hurt? God, man, are you hurt? There's a butcher knife there on the floor. I'm not hurt. He fired just in time. The fiend. Where is it? Where did it go? Listen, 
Somewhere in the house, there sounded a sickening flopping and flapping as of something that thrashed and struggled in its death convulsions. Old Jacob was right. Lead can kill him. I hit her sure enough. Didn't dare use my flashlight. There was enough light. When that whistling started, you almost walked over me getting out. I knew you was hypnotized to whatever it is. I followed you up the stairs. I was right behind you, but crouching low so she wouldn't see me. Maybe get away again. I almost waited too long before I fired, but the sight of her almost paralyzed me. Look! He flashed his light down the hall, and now it shone bright and clear. And it shone on an aperture gaping in the wall where no door had showed before. The secret panel Miss Elizabeth found. He ran across the hallway, and Griswold followed him dazedly. The flopping and thrashing came from beyond that mysterious door, and now the sounds had ceased. The light revealed a narrow, tunnel-like corridor that evidently led through one of the thick walls. Buckner plunged into it without hesitation. There's a room ahead. The secret room of the Blasenfields. My God. It's the windowless chamber I saw in my dream, with the three bodies hanging. Buckner's light playing about the circular chamber became suddenly motionless. In that wide ring of light, three figures appeared. Three dried, shriveled, mummy-like shapes, still clad in moldering garments of the last century. Their slippers were clear of the floor as they hung by their withered necks from chains suspended from the ceiling. The three Blastville sisters. Miss Elizabeth wasn't crazy after all. Look! Roswell could barely make his voice intelligible. There! Over there in the corner! The light moved, halted. Was that thing a woman once? God... Look at that face, even in death. Look at those claw-like hands with black talons like those of a beast. Yes, it was human, though. Even the rags of an old ballroom gown. Why should a mulatto maid wear such a dress, I wonder? This has been her lair for over 40 years. This clears you, Griswell. A crazy woman with a hatchet. That's all the authorities need to know. God, what a revenge. What a foul revenge. Mulatto woman? We misunderstood old Jacob's maunderings. Friswell, I understand now. That mulatto woman had her revenge, but not as we supposed. She didn't drink the black brew old Jacob fixed for her. It was for somebody else, given secretly in her food, or coffee, no doubt. Then Joan ran away, leaving seeds of the hell she'd sowed grow. Ah, that's not the mulatto woman? When I saw her out there in the hallway, I knew she was no mulatto, and those distorted features still reflect a family likeness. I've seen her portrait, and I can't be mistaken. There lies the creature that was once Celia Blassenville. You've been listening to Pigeons from Hell, considered one of the greatest of American horror stories, written by Robert E. Howard. Uh, this is a 2009 production that we did. It still kind of holds up today. Uh, we had Abergene Plum, I think Payne's Gray in the cast. Maybe Rascal was also there. Maybe S.W. Concer. Uh, this has been Fortunato. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be back again next month for more of the Bedtime Radio Show for Grown Ups, Gremlin Time. Thanks for listening.